Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you this morning, and I trust that you've already been helped as we've been singing and praying together and now hearing the Word of God. Uh, We read responsively or had read earlier from Psalm 67, and uh, in Psalm 67, um, there's this great call that all the nations would be glad in the Lord. And Mary Ann and I decided to uh, move to Minnesota and come to Victoria and be part of Waterbrook Church. Before we even had uh, known we were going to do that, we had chosen Psalm 67 as our missional verse as a couple. And uh, so we, uh, it's our heart's desire that the Lord would take us and bless the nations. And it's really cool, one on one hand, to have our brother from Burkina Faso uh, praying in French, which is good for a Canadian uh, <laughs> or a former Canadian or whatever I am to hear that, and uh, to pray this morning with our sister from Sao Paulo in uh, Portuguese. Um, to know right now, I got text from um, Bangkok this morning saying, what time is your service? Uh, we want to watch, and so knowing that family and uh, with the jackhammers going in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Our, that's my kids, you know, <laughs> look at that. Are uh, tuning in. Uh, Carice in Italy. Uh, what a marvelous thing that Little Waterbrook has the privilege of real and deep connections with the peoples here and around the world. And that's our prayer at the beginning of Global Missions Week, that God would do something in a bunch of people who are really nobodies for the name of someone who is the somebody, capital S, Jesus Christ. And that the hope and the worthiness and the joy of freedom in Jesus Christ might be made known globally. And so um, I'm excited that in the working out of God's timing and plan for um, our study, we're at this text. Just, I, I just repeat it over and over again because uh, my staff knows this, but I just need to reiterate that when we get to texts of Scripture on a certain Sunday, that's, it's really fitting. It has nothing to do with me. <laughs> and this text is great for Global Missions Week to get us set in this direction because this text of Scripture teaches us that there are times when the world looks absolutely chaotic and unpredictable. And uh, Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, I love this about this text, he's about to go to the cross. So we are now into Jerusalem, and we're around the time. His face is going towards the crucifixion. He is going to be crucified on the tree. But here's what I want you to notice. He's already talking about what's going to happen in the book of Acts. He's already on mission beyond the cross and the resurrection. He's about to talk to his disciples about some very painful days that they're about to experience, but he's telling them that what you're about to experience is not going to inhibit the advancement of the gospel. God loves to work in messy situations, in difficult circumstances, in the impossible in our mind, where we would be filled with faith. He says, I am Lord of it all. 
and I will build my church. And so it's Jesus talking to his disciples and talking to those around him. He's standing in the temple, and he's saying to them, I want you to listen to me now. My, my really good friend Bill always says, listen to me now, hear me later. And uh, they're listening to him now, but they're not going to hear him until much later. And Jesus is teaching them that they're about to enter in to a period of history where Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, where the foundations of everything they counted on have fallen, where the temple is about to come down, inconceivable things for them. And for them, the thought of Israel falling, Jerusalem falling, the temple being crushed, which did happen in 70 AD, when that happens, for them, they can't think this must be the end of the world. But you and I need to realize, here's the glorious thing. God loves to work where it looks impossible. And God loves to deliver and save in the darkest places. Isn't it marvelous? And we were praying about this earlier today, that one of the fastest growing countries uh, uh, with regard to the kingdom of God and people coming to Christ is Iran. One of the darkest, most hostile places. Uh, Imagine China. Over the last generation, the advancement of the gospel in a country that was so dedicated and continues to be opposed to Christianity spreading, real Christianity spreading. They want to control it under the government, but they cannot control it. Amen. And, and you and I need to be encouraged. You know, my wife uh, with her ministry uh, regularly, right now she is writing curriculum and every day she gets letters from around the world, emails from Iran and from China and from she has, she has two people working for her right now one from Bangladesh and one from Pakistan both Muslim and they are working as she is having the word of God being put into teaching lessons so they're working with her reading the Bible as she is advancing the gospel and this is just a marvelous thing friends God is not intimidated by the brokenness and the hostility and the darkness of the world. Jesus is Lord over it. And so I want you to hear that as Jesus begins to give them a view of what's going to happen after his death and his resurrection, it actually happens. It actually happens. Listen to this. I'll give you a quote from Tacitus who was considered one of the the best, greatest Roman historians ever. And he's describing what it was like in Rome in 60 AD. He says, The history on which I am entering is that of a period rich in disasters, terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. I'm just going to stop there and say, Does that sound like our world today? Does that sound like our world? Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often at the same time. Italy was distressed by disasters unknown before or returning after the lapse of the ages. Beside the manifold misfortunes that befell mankind, there were prodigies in the sky and on the earth, warnings given by thunderbolts and prophecies of the future, both both joyful and gloomy, uncertain and clear now we're doing global missions week at a time when the world looks chaotic for one reason all the way through biblical history all the way through christian history the kingdom of god has advanced when it looks like the world's going to fall apart 
when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it seems impossible. Can you imagine if missionaries never went to places that looked impossible? Could you imagine us not being committed to reaching the world until we had an easy and an open pathway? My dear friends, the gospel would never have gone forward. But that's exactly what the Lord loves to do. So here's the point I want us to see as we begin Missions Week. Christ's kingdom, Jesus is saying, would be built while all the other kingdoms would be shaken. The mission of the church always happens in the midst of the madness of the world. And um, let, me, let me just say this because this is what I think Christ loves to do. He loves to show up in the lives of his people when the world is shaking and the kingdoms are crumbling. He loves to do that because it's against the backdrop of the egos and the powers, the injustice and the corruptness that Jesus as king is seen as glorious, as beautiful, as gracious, and as hopeful. Isn't Jesus the only king Amen. this world needs? Isn't he the only king that we need? So as the world gets darker, as the news gets more difficult, friends, let me just tell you this. I'll tell you it over and over again. As you continually get your news uh, of the world falling apart and being dark and dismal, do not move into this kind of pessimism that you think in your head, oh wow, the, the church is undone. My dear friends, it's against the backdrop of that news that the kingdom of God shines bright. It's against the bad news of the world that the good news is seen as so hopeful and so beautiful. So we are to be more determined than ever to be on mission and to build the kingdom of God in a world that seems to be crumbling around us. And so what I want to do is Jesus is going to talk to his disciples. He's saying, listen to me now, hear me later, as they advance the kingdom of God, and he's going to tell them how they can live without fear in a world that shakes them. And, and I want you to hear this today because it applies in every area of your life. Right now, if your world is crumbling, right now, if this world looks dark, you need to hear Jesus tell you why you can live for him and trust him and carry on. But more than that, church, as we live in this world, Little Waterbrook, we live in this world, guess what? We have the hope of the world. We have the call of God. We have a reason. I'm hoping, we're praying this week, we hold a global missions week for multiple reasons. One, to remind you we are all on global mission. And, and we are on global mission with our partners. Some of our people have gone out, but they haven't gone out alone. They are Waterbrook in the world. And some of us are going out. Some of you are thinking. We already have people praying. And Kayla is praying and preparing to go to Honduras. She, she probably saw Honduras and heard the jackhammers and said, man, I'd love to be there right now. And some of you are are thinking about that and we want to encourage you today that Jesus is big enough and, and he is the hope of the world and we're hoping every time we have a global missions week that God might elect to show some of us that he wants us in another part of the world for the sake of the gospel while we still have breath and we want to be open to all of that this week because he's faithful to do that. So here's, here's, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to say to you why why should we not tremble when the world is, why should we not withdraw, why should we not disengage, but why should we actually be all the more hopeful when the world gets darker that we should be on global mission, and why should we be engaged with that? What does Jesus say so that we're not overcome by the pessimism and the fear of the world? 
So here's the first one. It's really simple, but it's probably the largest command in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not fear. Jesus is about to uh, disclose to them over this next several verses things that would make them tremble in their boots experientially. But you're going to see a shift in the book of Acts that the disciples in Luke are now a new people in the book of Acts through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what he teaches us. The madness of the world will not bring the end of human history. King Jesus will. You want to know that? It's not the, the tyrants in Russia. It's not the dictates of the rulers of China. It's not the randomness of the rulers of North Korea. It's not the chaos of the political powers in the United States of America that are going to determine the outcome of the world. The outcome of the world is already decided because King Jesus is already king. He is seated at the right hand of God and he will unfold history. That's what Jesus says. Don't fear because I rule. And so King Jesus will bring this season of human history to its divinely intended end. So look at verse 5 with me. It says, while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the day will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And immediately they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said to them, See that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. This is why this section why I say the the exhortation is do not fear. He says, When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Fear not, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And so Jesus knows that in the next generation, within the next 40 years, Titus will come in, uh, who will eventually be the emperor of Rome. He will come in and he will destroy Jerusalem. 70 AD, it'll all come down. Jesus knows that these disciples are going to see things that will absolutely terrify them. The people will see things standing in Jerusalem. The temple was, you know, it was almost inconceivable in their mind that the temple would come down. And uh, King Herod, for an 80-year period, he started a project where he expanded the temple. Now, he wasn't allowed to change the temple, but he could build on the outside of the temple. And he spent, uh, I don't know what the dollars or the coins were, but he spent a lot of money, a lot of gold, a lot of silver to expand the temple. It was awe-inspiring. He had giant stones, ornate gold-laden Um, architecture wreaths around the entrance were pure gold he had built and had a project that started 80 years that was to the glory of his name there's no wonder it came down the temple became a place for the glory of a man when it was designed for the glory of God and to point to the glory of God and that let be a little warning to all of us the church exists not for the glory of any man but the God-man.
who is exalted. And we live for one name and for his name alone, that he might be glorified. So they're standing there. It's inconceivable that this masterpiece by Herod would come to an end. But Jesus is to teach him that this is about to come to an end. It's about to be destroyed. But he says this is not the end. It's actually the introduction to a new age. Later on in this chapter, he'll call it the age of the Gentiles. We call it the book of Acts and beyond. Suddenly, with the destruction of the temple, there is a new temple. We are the temple where Jesus is the cornerstone, right? We are a living temple, and that temple is not localized in one geographical area, but it is sent out and commissioned to go to all the nations. This is a temple on the move. We are sent out because... There is a greater Jerusalem. There is a holy city, a Jerusalem that will come down that is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Won't that be great? That one day when we will sing and understand every translation of every prayer and every song and every line and all the nations, but we know the line that will be sung. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive glory, honor, dominion, and power, for he was slain, and by him the nations have been purchased. Oh, let it be today. Oh, Lord Jesus, let it be today. And so you and I need to see that Jesus, when we look at this text, Jesus is saying, how can Jesus say this? Because he, he hits the nail on the head. His prophecy comes absolutely true. How can Jesus stay at this point in time and say, beyond my crucifixion, beyond my resurrection, beyond my ascension into heaven are difficult days, but don't fear, that's not the end. How can he say that? Because in the last passage that we were studying, God said in his prophecy through David in Psalm 110, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies what? A footstool for your feet. Jesus is being raised up as king. The son of David is here and he is being exalted. And so that's why Jesus can do this. So we we understand this. Jesus will be reigning in the midst of the madness to advance his mission. When the disciples go out in the book of Acts, they have one message they declare over and over again. This is one of my little pet peeves because um, I believe that Christians talk a lot about the death and resurrection of Jesus. When the disciples preached the gospel, they always preached the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So how lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who declares good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Anybody know the next line? Our God reigns. That's the good news. The good news is that Christ reigns. The good news is that Christ rules. It is not in the hands of tyrants. It's in the hand of the Prince of Peace in the Lord of Lords. That's not yet to come. That's now. That's absolutely certain right now. And so you and I need to realize, whatever our circumstances, hear me, whatever our circumstances, we get overwhelmed with fear. When Jesus says, don't be terrified, we get overwhelmed with fear for one reason. We forget that our God reigns. Listen to Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, she goes to her husband and as a group of five go in to reach the Aka Indians in Ecuador And they go in and they're immediately slaughtered. Absolute devastation. You think to yourself, what what do you do now? You have a little child and your husband has just been slaughtered by the Aka Indians. And Elizabeth Elliot has one clear calling in her mind. You know what you do when your husband is slaughtered by the Aka Indians? You go back to the Aka Indians. 
And she did with courage. But this is what she said, and it's helpful for us this morning. Fear arises when we think everything depends on us. And friends, it doesn't matter what you're going through today. That's the truth for all of us. Fear arises when we think everything depends on us. Friends, everything don't de- does not depend on us. Everything depends on the one on whom we can depend. Jesus Christ and King Jesus. So I just want to ask the question, how do we fight mission-killing fear? Uh, have you ever stopped and asked the question, why does Satan use fear so much? Because the moment you become afraid, where's your focus? Self-preservation. When the call of the gospel is what? Self-giving, self-sacrifice, self-forgetting. So Satan loves to use fear and likes to intimidate us all the time because if he can keep us there, he can keep us from helping others with the hope of the gospel. My dear friends, you've got so much more to live for. You've got so much more to live. So how do we fight mission-killing fear? Number one, as we've already said, remember Jesus is already installed as king over the nations. That's how they preached. In the book of Acts, when they started preaching, they preached courageously because they knew the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was a sign that Jesus was on the throne. And my dear friends, Jesus is yet reigns on the throne. And he reigns over all principalities and powers. He reigns over all kings and kingdoms. He, he rules over all tribes and peoples. He rules over all circumstances and situations. He is king. Remember that. Secondly, remember that you already in Christ belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would you take your Bibles to Hebrews? I want you to see this text of Scripture. One of the reasons I love this uh, text in Hebrews 12 is that there's a contrast between the Old Testament people coming to Mount Sinai where there are flashes of lightning and there was thunder and everybody's going full of fear. We can't go up on the mountain, and God tells them to stay away. Well, now in Jesus Christ, that fire, that flash, that holiness has been satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we have come to a different mountain. And that's mountain that we belong to. Friends, if you are in Jesus Christ, this is where you are now. Colossians will say, set your eyes on him above, things above where Christ is seated. My dear friends, you have another citizenship. You belong to another kingdom. Right now, Christian, this is your reality. Hear it, listen to it, own it, believe it today. In Hebrews chapter 12, down in 22, it says, but now you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to who? Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel, who was murdered by his brother Cain, shout out? Vengeance. Vengeance. Justice. Demanding. His, he was murdered. But now, the blood of the better Abel, The blood of the Son of God cries out what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive us. Isn't that a better blood cry? Is that a better call out? We're going to take communion today, and I can announce to you this good news. 
that we do not live under condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We live in that city. That's our citizenship. The angels in heaven have have festal, they're singing with joy today. They're singing with joy today. I want you to sing with joy today. That is where you are right now. That is who you are right now. That is to whom you belong right now, that king. That is your reality. And so you and I, we fight the fear when we go into mission because when we go into mission, we need to be reminded here that we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken, cannot be taken, will not be removed. Praise God. Remember that when the earth shakes, it shakes with purpose. That's the third thing. When the world is shaking, remember who's doing the shaking. It might look like kings. It might look like corrupt rulers. It might look like conspiracy theories. But understand this. It's the king who shakes the world. In verse 25, he says, See to it that you do not refuse him who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much How uh, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. My dear friends, when kingdoms shake, there's a king doing the shaking. And ultimately, when it's finally shaken down, Christ Jesus is the one who's going to shake it, but he shakes it to shake us awake. I remember being in Southern California. Um, One day, I was standing in the living room, and actually, I was sitting on the couch in Southern California, and there was an earthquake. And I had never been in an earthquake. It was like the building suddenly became like jello. And I jump up. I have no idea what to do when the earth shakes. <laughs> I had never been in an earthquake. And my wife, it was one of her bemusement moments, which I've supplied her with many. She's sitting there and I look at her and go, what do we do? And she goes, sit down. <laughs> she knew the difference between a real earthquake and just the regular California earthquake. Sit down. And so I sat down. I had a moment of not believing her. <laughs> But you know what, there's, there's a statement being made here in Hebrews that the purpose of any shaking in our lives is to remind us that there's a great shaking coming. And whatever has shaken you, you can run to the one who's doing the shaking because he shakes your life in order that you might not be shaken on that day. Right? Run to Jesus. Don't be afraid when the earth trembles. This is, this is why we go to the nations. This is why sometimes we have these battles with the, with the, mean, the, the reason for evil and the, the, the sources of suffering, and we ought to do that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to realize that this fallen world is a fallen world. There's another day coming, and we are exposed to all kinds of things because that's how dull we are. That's how deaf we are. How, that's how devoted to our wickedness and ourselves we are. What does it take to wake me? I don't need to ask about you. You know your life. What's it take? What, what, what has to be shaken in my life in order to make me all about Jesus? He does it, but he does it so that we might be shaken awake and that we might come safely home. Finally, look at the end in this text of Scripture in Hebrews 12. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Isn't that good news? 
Let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what are we supposed to do? There's a sense in which we do what Psalm 2 says that was, has been mentioned already. We, we, we stop and we tremble. It says rejoice with trembling. There's a double-edged sword. On one hand, we, we rejoice that we have this kingdom that cannot be shaken. We belong to that kingdom. And that's what we belong to. And that's, that's what you do in the middle of the mission field. Uh, I have a couple of young grandsons. One's name is Rowie that was mentioned earlier by the Hondurans, and the other one's name is Owe. I always get them mixed up. But I got a Rowie, and I've got an Owe. And, and Owe, Owen, is named after John Payton, a missionary who went to New Hebrides. His name is Owen Payton Kim. And uh, John Payton, when he went to new, the mission to the New Hebrides, was told not to go. They were cannibals. And uh, in the description of, of his biography, uh, John Payton tells of an occasion where he and one of the natives in Vanuatu, or they were on another island called Tana, when they're on the island of Tana, the cannibals had come to kill them. And there was a moment where he and the man with him were surrounded by uh, um, natives with, with spears and swords and ready to kill him. And he said, in that very moment, the presence of Christ and the reality of Christ struck him. And this is what he wrote. He said, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work was done. Nothing could happen apart from his hand. He added this, I don't have it up there, but the assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ who is all power in heaven on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. And they did not get killed and they saw the people of New Hebrides or Vanuatu come to faith in Christ. It was a, within 15 years, the whole island came to Jesus Christ. I need to say to you right now, Jesus is on the throne. And we go into global mission without fear. We go into the circumstances in which he's called us to, to minister, not because of ourselves. It would scare the daylights out of us. The future would scare the daylights. The situation seemed absolutely impossible, except for one thing. Jesus, our Jesus, our King, our Savior, our Lord is on the throne. Do not fear. Do not fear. Secondly, because he's on the throne, Decide in your heart, number two, to stand up for Christ no matter how challenging the situation. And, and essentially what Jesus does here is he tells us that he will give us what we need to say. And, and basically, what, what am I to do in this situation? We, and the answer is, show up. That's what missionaries do. Here's one of the rules of global missions. It'll never be the way you planned almost from the moment you get off the airplane. Just ask Carice every time she goes. Visas and cars and living situations just changes. My dear friends, is, how many of you does your life look exactly the way you planned it? <laughs> Please don't answer me because I won't believe you. 
that you and I need to understand is that we don't know what to do. So we go to these places and the only way we're going to do it is not if we show up, but Jesus shows up. And Jesus has given us his word. You show up and I'll show up. You you follow me. So, So he actually, listen to how he says it. Look at this text of scripture. In verse 10 of 21, he says, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. Kingdom's going to rise against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes in various places, famine, COVID. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's Greek. (laughs) Famines, pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. That's the book of Acts. That's the Apostle Paul on mission. That's the foundation of the church. But listen to what he says. This will be your opportunity for witness. Oh, I I hate to tell you this, but the comfort and success of your life will not be your opportunity for witness. The opportunity for witness will be in those places and those heartaches and those situations that seem almost impossible. Well, it is impossible. But friends, what's impossible with man? It's possible with who? With God. Do you believe that? I want you to hear that today. So then this is what he says. This will be an opportunity. to you. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate before how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to understand and contradict. I want to help you. One of the greatest leaders in the Bible said I can't do this. Actually there's multiple leaders in the Bible who said that. Remember Moses when he got called by God, go into Egypt. And you tell those people to follow me. Oh, I'm going to lead them out of captivity. And you say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, uh, use Aaron. Right? That's what he said. Don't, I, I can't do this. I'm not up to it. And some of you feel that today and what God is calling you to do. But listen, listen to what Exodus says. It says in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I'm not eloquent either in past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be your mouth and teach you what to speak. William Hendrickson says, from his position at the right hand, uh, the Father's right hand in glory, he will, Jesus will, through his spirit, impart to his dear ones the ability to say the right thing at the right time. Show up and ask Jesus to show up. I mean, that's how Jesus functioned when he got before Pontius Pilate. When he got before Pontius Pilate, for a lot of time, he doesn't say anything. Doesn't say anything. So you're not going to answer me? But Jesus wasn't going to say anything except for that which the Father gave him. And unless the Father gave him something to say, he didn't say it. But then he said, you can do nothing unless my Father in heaven grants it. That's audacious words to say to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. I can guarantee you this, Christian. All the planning ahead you can do, and this doesn't mean you shouldn't study apologetics. It doesn't mean you shouldn't memorize scripture. It doesn't mean you don't know how to give answers. You should do all of that, but do not defend, uh, depend on your own arm. And do not go because you haven't got it perfected yet. Show up in the places which God calls you and expect Jesus to show up. And if Jesus wants you to speak, he'll speak. And if he doesn't give you something to say, then you have to say nothing. But he will use you. 
He will change you. He will empower. Settle in your mind. Can I ask you to look at that verse? You might have different translations, but um, can I challenge you today to obey verse 14 wherever God has placed you? Can I challenge you in verse 14 that when God calls you to show up, but you make a decision in your mind that you're not going to answer for you, you're going to let God speak through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing what he does. I've been in so many circumstances where I've thought I have not the foggiest idea what to say here. And I have friends, I have dear friends that I'm in touch with that I went and they were not in Christ at one point in time. And I sat there like a doofus thinking how in the world am I going to answer in this situation? I, and, and when the Holy Spirit gave me something to say and I began to answer it, I, I, I walked away from situations thinking F-A-L-E fail right that's why I just walked away and thought that was a waste of time I couldn't do it and then a couple weeks later they're sitting in worship God will let you know you're weak so that you might know that he is mighty to save and so Christians Waterbrook can I ask you if we're talking about global mission can I just ask you this will you show up where God calls you to show up believing that if he wants to speak through you be willing to speak through you Pray that he would show up and give you what you need to say. You know, being anxious about what you're going to say, Corey Ten Boom, who also served the Lord well, had this line, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to fix. Most of the time in my counseling, you know, (laughs) I have a dear friend, Mark Webb, he says, I can take two people who can't agree on anything and make them agree on one thing that I shouldn't be doing counseling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Most of the time when I go into counseling, I haven't got a clue where this is going to go because I'm not in control. But I go because I love people, and I go because I believe Jesus. Waterbrook, let's just start showing up, and let's keep looking up. And Christ will use Waterbrook to make a difference to the ends of the earth. He already is, and he already has. Praise God. Here's the last thing I want you to see in this text of Scripture. It's really profound. Hang in there. Hang in there. Look at what it says in verse 16. You will be delivered up, he said, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of them will put you to death. Some of the most painful things you'll experience are in your own family, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. Doesn't that sound like contradictory? You will be put to death. Not a hair on your head will perish. Some people will say that's sheer nonsense. We stop and say this. It would be sheer nonsense if he wasn't saying it. But Jesus Christ was crucified. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him. They took the flesh off his bones. They pierced him through. They nailed him to a tree. They did all of that, and he rose from the dead. Three days later, not a hair on his head had perished. That which happened to him will happen to you in his power and in his grace. It says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Here's why we go on mission. Because as we follow Jesus in mission, it's not just the people we're going to that are getting saved, it's us. 
And we're not getting saved in the sense that we earn our salvation by doing mission. It's by being in the middle of the darkness and the madness that we realize how precious Jesus is. It's in the middle of that chaos we see our own sin and our own weakness. You don't go to the mission field and say, what's the matter with these people? It'll only take you like a millisecond and you say, what's the matter with me? Because there by the grace of God go I. You go on the mission field, you go out into minister, you minister to your family and your neighbors for one reason. You show up and you see that God is sufficient for them because you're holding on to the hem of his garment and he has never let you go. By, this is why we do global missions, so that we don't get sucked into the lies of the world. We don't get gripped by the priorities of the world. We don't get sucked into the solutions of the world because there's only one name under heaven by which men may be saved. Whose name? Jesus Christ. So global mission in hard places actually works to save those who are on mission. Waterbrook, the nations need the Lord. But Waterbrook needs the Lord. The nations need Waterbrook to go to the nations and be part of the nations, either by going or partnering or praying. But we need to do that because we need to see the gospel clearly, to experience the power of the resurrection, to be saved ourselves through the power of the gospel on an ongoing and final basis. And one day, we will see him face to face. God's people said, amen. I'm encouraging you to pray for us this week. I'm encouraging you to partner, show up where you can. May God do something radically different. We're gonna take communion. Let me invite you to take communion. If you love Jesus and if you've trusted in him, not if you think you've got it together. Not if you've had a good week. But if you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, confess your sin even now as we sing, as we prepare. Trust in him, but to all who have trusted in him, he is sufficient to save. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.